Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. All right. Happy Monday. Happy February 28th, the 19th anniversary of the Nassau Tweezer from 228-2003. One of the greatest fish jams of all time that we are not here to talk about, but uh, maybe in another forum we'll talk about it. We are here today. My name is Brian Brinkman, as you all probably know at this point in time. Uh, I am here hosting the Helping Friendly podcast on tour. I'm solo today, although I've got some awesome guests who are coming on here very, very shortly. Uh, we are going to be talking about night four in Mexico, February 27th, 2022 show. Break down our thoughts on kind of where it falls in the overall run, the highlights that we heard throughout this show, and kind of where we see fish as we now transition from the first run of 2022 
We've got a couple of weeks off, about six, seven weeks off before the New Year's Eve makeup run in uh, New York City, Madison Square Garden, that is kicking off in mid-April. Lots to dive into, so I'll keep the intro brief here. I just want to tell everyone who's listening out there, if you have not already, please subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. It is a great way to support Osiris Media and what we are doing here. It's also a great way for you to hear ad-free content, plus get a ton of bonus content. We released our first HF Pod premium episode last week. We've put a bunch of old, excellent under the scales episodes back up on the subscription service, as well as you get uh, bonus undermine interviews, AMAs, a ton of other stuff. So it's a really great way to support what we do, as well as hear some additional content on your end. The other thing I want to tell you about is our sponsor here for today's show, which as it's been for the last few weeks, and we hope it will be forever, essentially, because we love this company. It's Sunset Lake CBD. They have a line of smokable hemp products that are for the old deadhead, possibly the young, possibly middle-aged fish fan, wherever you find yourself at this point in time, who's searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there's something for everyone, even you. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. And all flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, the Sunset Lake CBD farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flower by shipping them directly from their farm to your door. I've been loving Sunset Lake smokables over the last couple of months. It's a great way for me to get the buzz that I'm looking for, for me to get the relaxation that I'm craving at the end of the day without all that stuff happening upstairs, without any sort of paranoia, without any sort of anxiety that sometimes comes for me from a little bit too much THC. So I've been loving it. It gives me everything that I need, and I encourage you to test it out as well. Sunset Lake is a great company to support, and we love working with them. Check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Again, that's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And with that, I'm going to bring our guests on. We've got Mike Lawn Memo Minio, who's going to be joining us here, as well as my good friend, podcasting compatriot, David Goldstein, who's going to be joining us to talk through the night four in Mexico. And at some point here in the near future, we will be joined by Mr. Ben Greenfield, who was with us yesterday. Dave, how you doing, my man? Hey, Brian. I'm good. I had lunch. It was delicious, chilling, and uh, looking forward to talking some Mexico fish. Likewise, man. I have not had lunch yet, but I had a bowl of cereal. You were the person that got me on a cereal kick. It is like the best breakfast in the world at this point in my mind. So I'm doing well as well, and I can't wait to jump into this. We're going to bring on here as well, Memo. Hi, guys. Mike, Josh, Lawn Memo, Alan, Minio. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, I think last time we talked, uh, we talked for like eight hours about Radiohead, and it was my favorite day of my life. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. That was... Wow, I'm thinking... Was that pre-pandemic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we went deep. That was like... Uh, that almost had a record for... If it wasn't the longest Beyond the Pond episode ever, it was up there. That was that was a killer episode. Yeah, we went but we went through every single Radiohead album and dove, uh, dove into the depths of them all. It was excellent It was stuff. the best. Loved it. 
Well, thank you both for joining me here to talk through night four in Mexico. Um, I thought it was a pretty good show last night. I thought that there were some really fascinating moments um, while also kind of feeling like uh, to me, uh, it felt like a New Year's Day show in some senses where it was just like, okay, the the excitement, the vacation is coming to a conclusion. Let's take a deep breath. Let's get back to normal life. But before we do that, we've got a sunset fish set and then we've got a final set to send you home with. So I felt really good about it overall. Um, Dave, starting with you, tell me going into last night, what were kind of your big thoughts coming away from the first three nights in Mexico? And how did you feel like the band was sounding? I thought they were sounding very good. I was, uh, I thought the first three nights were quite enjoyable. I think uh, back of the napkin, if I had to rank them for me, probably my favorite was number two, then number three, and then the opening night. Um, all excellent in their own way. I like the opening night. It had a lot of pep. It was very tight, very fast, almost Jerry Garcia, 1983 tempos. If you get my drift. Um, I like that they came with the tweezer early. And that was actually a quite interesting 21 minute version. I love the four song second set of night two, especially the end of the song. I heard the ocean sing. That's some incredible Trey Slater, the traffic light type rage. And then um, night three lost a little bit of steam at the end of the second set, but that's that the set your soul free for night three uh, might be the most interesting jam they played all weekend especially towards the end of that song where they get into the supreme anger aliens raining down on your head, death from above stuff that he's been doing. (laughs) And to me, I guess night four, very enjoyable, very much an exhale. This was the, um, you're a little bit hungover, you're pretty sunburned. You're on the beach. You got sand in your toes. You're thinking about the flight the next day and the show kind of, reflected that it was plenty enjoyable lots of good improv but overall the vibe was more of um let's get out of here yeah the the evilness coming down through the set your soul free i think i said yesterday during the pod i I thought it was a bond villain-esque jam i absolutely loved that and i'm I'm right there with you one of was perhaps the most unique jam of the overall run memo what were your thoughts any any different thoughts on on uh the first three nights of of mexico uh, slightly different. Uh, I would say overall, including last night, I'm very impressed with this as a, especially a standalone four night run, um, yeah. three or three and a half, if you want to call it. I think that we're starting to see kind of fish really embracing what they're really good at. And we all know that Trey can't play a million notes anymore. So the style of fish I thought that I'm really seeing, I think it started last year and you're seeing in this run, especially is what they're good at. They can groove harder than they ever did. They can chill and relax. They're a little bit more exploratory and they have these weird polyrhythms that, you know, are all over the place. And that's what they're good at now. And I think they're, they're not trying to jam these crazy peaks and, and play all these notes where they did for, you know, how many years that we've listened and watched them. It's just a different band now. And I think that they're starting to realize what they were good at and they can't do some of that anymore, but they're embracing this whole new kind of sound. And I thought this run kind of was a really good example of that. That's what I, you know, I listened to seven hours of fish last night and that was the theme is this super chill groove based airy that I actually fucking love. I mean, I am all about it. And especially cause I'm getting older and I can hear the notes and a little space is cool with me. 
I I love the four nights overall and very impressed that it was like standalone. They haven't played since, you know, Vegas. You know, yeah. you, I would expect to these kind of shows in the middle of a tour. Yeah. So um, I'm very happy about that. And yeah, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's interesting because like night one, I felt like the first maybe 35, 40 minutes of the show were kind of all we got for an intro of kind of like, that that working itself back and usually to your point you get that across an entire first show if not two shows into the tour and then they find their groove in some way shape or form and to have them figure out by the time they played tweezer okay we're we're ready to actually present a tweezer to the audience um, i also think it's interesting to your point like the fact that and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but they seem to understand really clearly about what it is that they do well. And they really leaned into that stylistically. To me, they're carrying over a lot of the effects that we heard from uh, the previous summer fall tour that really worked well for the jamming and applying them in melodic ways uh, that, that I find really interesting. A lot of the ability to kind of just take the sounds out of the ether. Like they're very good yeah. at kind of turning something out of nothing, even just going from a silent stop. They're, um, you know, like everyone's been saying, not the level of rage. And yet that being said, I still watch Trey's fingers and it seems like either he's been practicing more or I don't know if he had any finger pain in 2019, but there's more. The fingers are moving faster. They're moving cleaner. It's more deliberate. Like something was unlocked either during the pandemic otherwise that you're not getting the somewhat sloppiness that you saw in 2019 like there's definitely yeah. there's more deliberation in my mind yeah there's uh, a lot more dexterity in that go ahead long memo sure uh for me um it's crazy to me that the there's a four song second set and it's not my favorite night of the run <laughs> uh, <laughs> i fully expected last night for that to be it but i was blown away with saturday's show uh, the first set is phenomenal. The twist and your pet cat is awesome. That is such a hard song to like try to transition to. And it was a little disjointed at the first couple notes, but what they've also done is take like a theme from a previous song, like the jam from twist and apply it through the next song. That's another thing they're getting really good at. So like that, your pet cat is a carryover from that twist jam. It's a little bit slower than they normally play it. I just love that. It's like 30 minutes of just one song that's in between two songs. And I loved uh, Wolfman's was unreal, like unreal good. One yeah. of my favorite versions probably ever of that song. So, like we, I, we talked about Set Your Soul Free was great. I thought Simple was really good, even though it was a little shorter. Just the quick transition into that groove jam was spectacular. Sense was great. Cross-Eyed was good. <sighs> if they had just ended the set there, I think we're talking about an all-time show. It was. It, they didn't need to play anything more. They did. They didn't have to play "Waste and Blaze On." Right. But then again, yeah. if you're on the beach, you want and it's more fish. night, and you have a drink, and you got the sand, then yeah, you're gonna want the blaze on. But on my couch, I'd have been perfectly happy with just ending a cross-side boom mic drop. Yeah. yeah. But those yeah, four songs of, are are really an good. incredible yeah. run. Really yeah. incredible run. Um, 
Well, let's talk, let's transition here and talk about Sunday. And I want to bring on our final guest who, who is, who has showed up backstage, Mr. Ben Greenfield, who hung out with us yesterday. This is like a beyond the pond reunion here on HF pod. I'm, I'm loving this. Ben, how are you doing, man? Welcome to HF pod on tour. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, you know, I, I was just in a meeting at work and I, I told uh, all of my colleagues, I was like, look, like we have important work stuff to talk about, but I have some more important stuff that I got to talk about with my friends about fish. So it's good to be here with you guys. Good to see you, man. You're, you're like, hey, making good the, to see you, buddy. you're making the quadrant appearance on CNN. Like you've got to make a, you've got to make an appearance here. So uh, I really appreciate you telling everyone at work, you've got more important stuff to do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, good to see you, Ben, my compadre with two daughters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Fun times. Mm. Very fun. Well, let's talk about, uh, speaking of a man with two daughters, um, Mr. Trey Anastasio, you like how I did that transition? Mr. Trey was, Anastasio walks out on stage, walks out on stage wearing um, clip-on shade sunglasses. I count this as, I think this is the first show that Trey has worn sunglasses since day one of It. If someone out in the audience or if someone on the panel has um, uh, a more recent show where he wore sunglasses, I I couldn't find video footage of it. But I think it was day one of it when he was wearing the Nihon shirt that he uh, wore sunglasses that day. But they open up with the very first fat man in the bathtub since December 30th, 2010, 386 shows. Only the third version ever played. They played two versions in fall of 2010 and then just left it on the table. And here it came back. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on this selection as an opener? And what did you think about the delivery of it? I thought that, I mean, that's probably my favorite song. I've waited for Columbus and I'm kind of shocked that they haven't put it into the rotation throughout. Because I think out of all the songs on that record, that one should be there. Um, I think that I'm not sure that half of the band realized that they were playing Fat Man in the bathtub until they figured it out. I think Paige muffed the opening line and there was like some hesitancy, but I mean, hey, it's, it's a great, it's a great song. And once they got it going, I was very happy to see it. Of course, shout out to uh, what's the ultimate, like, what's the ultimate little feet bootleg that we always talk about, the Ultrasonic Studios. It's like Batman, the bathtub and the skin it back. So great takes of it there. Yeah. I was happy to see it. Yeah. I thought it fit the vibe perfectly. I thought initially it was party time based on what they were right. just like the rhythm they were throwing down the organ that Paige was playing. But um, I thought I it, they thought it was party time as well. I, th- I think some of them thought it was party <laughs> time as well. Yeah. And, but it just like, you know, you've got a bust out plus little feet plus sunshine. Memo, what were your thoughts on this? Loved it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I'm a little intimidated right now that Ben's here, that I'm the least nice person on this panel and I have the worst beard all of a sudden. This is not good. I'm <laughs> um, a little intimidated, but yeah, Fat Man was super great. Uh, anytime bust out. Plus it's like, it reminds me of like when they opened Jones beach with skin it back kind of group, oh, like same, call. same kind of feel. And, you know, and I love that. Like I like non-traditional stuff and, you know, when you open with something that's busted out, it fits the vibe during the daytime. It was great. This is what it, why fish is great. They can pull off stuff like this, even if it's not a hundred percent perfect. It still feels great. And I, and you hug your friends and you're 
half of them don't know what the hell the song is. That's super fun. And, you know, it's great. Loved it. Ben, what about you? Yeah, no, I uh, would have to imagine if you're standing on a beach in Mexico, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining and fish is playing fat man in a bathtub. Like you're probably not like complaining about the fact that they're not all completely in sync on it. Um, <laughs> the vibe is so good. Um, and that the, the song is like on the one hand, it's, you know, extreme rarity. On the other hand, as far as I know, it's now been played at uh, 100% of shows in Mexico where Trey is wearing flip-up sunglasses. So it's <laughs> it's like if those things are happening, you know you're getting a fat man in the bathtub. That is a stat that probably cannot be broken until at the very earliest February 2023, but I'm guessing more than likely February 2024. We'll see. Um, we drop out of the kind of, you know, lazy uh laid back groove of uh fat man in a bathtub into a classic mike's groove um big spot here for mike song we've seen a couple of mike songs in this spot over the last couple of years actually go into an extended jam i think about the vegas version i think about the deer creek version from last summer in particular this one kept it pretty tight i thought it was good for an afternoon set it kind of gave me the vibe initially dave and i were talking about this that it felt like just a perfect barbecue set you know you throw on some fish you get some great little elements of fish without going too deep they would go deeper which we will talk about but for me the highlight here was i think hydrogen on a beach at sunset has to be one of those you know just kind of perfect musical moments but week dropping into kind of this gooey little funk jam was was great for me to hear almost out the gates it, it gave me a sense that like even if they're going to keep it a little bit close to the chest in what feels like the daytime festival set, if you will, they're still going to explore. Um, Memo, what were your thoughts on this Mike's groove? This is going to be kind of case in point. What I was talking to about earlier is this groove for me felt like one long arc, smooth, chill, laid back, perfect daytime. This is exactly like, Mike's didn't have like that full rage section or the huge peak. It just was this slow kind of groove. And then hydrogen was beautiful out of it and felt, you know, airy and vibey. And then I thought we could just completely carry that whole movement. So this is, again, you know, when I was listening to all this last night, I just was just chilling and vibing. And I love that. And I really am digging this kind of style of fish. Um, maybe a lot of people are like, man, I re- I wish when Mike's would just blow my face off and Wikipaw would just slam me in the face later. This is, I like this kind of fish. And I thought this was a great case in point of them kind of embracing that whole sound for the weekend of just kind of taking it slow, arcing it, you know, over the course where, you know, when Wikipaw finished, I like took a breath and I'm like, that was like a really nice 20 minutes right there. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it in this spot. I would have, definitely loved it on the beach chilling with all my friends in the water like it's they're playing to their surroundings very well throughout this whole show it was wasn't always perfect but if i was there i can totally imagine loving it just being in that vibe yeah then what about you do you think did you hear them applying this kind of new sonic uh this this new sonic approach to like the classic mike's groove yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think that's a good point. It's and you know, in terms of the um, 
you know, like the longing for like the the crazy Mike's grooves of, of Dave's past. Like I had a I had a period where where I was like one of those people who was like, come on, come on, let's just jam this one and would get kind of upset when they wouldn't. But like I find that like right now, the fact that they're you're getting so many jams in other places, like it's just I have a hard time getting upset about the songs that don't jam because I like, you know, that right around the corner, there's something big and like sure enough, there was. But um, I think the most important point here is. Uh, that we've just learned that Memo is a member of the Silent G Weekapaw Club, which which I had no idea of. I I, I think it was I I want to say I I remember it was um in the uh, December thirty or uh, December ninety five uh, HF Pod episode with uh, Drew and Chop, where I can't remember. I think was it Chop that that did the Weekapaw, and there was like a huge. I believe. Yeah, I believe that's. That's a corner he 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 backs into, and and that's 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 his territory right there. Is weak paw. Yeah. For the record, yeah. I'm barely awake, so <laughs> adding an extra syllable. Is, it could is be weak paw by the end of the podcast. I'm saying? usually still asleep till two o'clock. I just said. <laughs> Dave, what were your thoughts on this uh, classic Mike's groove? Any anything of note for you? Not exactly. I thought it was good. Inoffensive, well played. Also. Um, Admittedly, at the time, I had the show on my iPad and my two daughters were at each other's throats, so I wasn't <laughs> entirely focused on it. But from what I heard, um, well played for the beach in the middle of the uh, beginning of a Mexico set, perfectly fine. Probably when I go back and listen to this show, I might skip around that one a little bit. But also, like you're saying, like a barbecue set, shaping up to be something really good. You're outdoors, you've got some meat on the grill. You've got a pale ale, and your buddy says, is this fish? You say, yeah. He says, pretty good. So, you know. It's pretty good. It's This is a conversion set in a sense. You know, this is, we're not going to go too crazy until we go really crazy, which we'll get to here shortly. Um, the very next song, 46 Days, um, my initial note when they started it was like, this is just a great call on an idyllic beachside barbecue set. 46 Days had other ideas. 46 Days is one of those really interesting fish songs in the sense that it can be a four to seven minute, just like punch you in the face, rocking song. And just like it can open a set, it can build up the energy, it can close a set, but it can also do what a lot of fish jams did throughout this run. And that was right when the lyrics end, it drops into this weightless type of melodic jamming. Um, this felt really diverse in a lot of cases. It felt like it could have gone on for 20 to 25 minutes, just based on the fact that every riff that Trey kept kept throwing out had new ideas. The other band members would latch on. There was just really, really great jamming happening before an easy drop back into the song proper with some raging chords. I loved this. I thought it was a great little dip into jamming. Didn't give us... It kind of served the same purpose that Ghost and Twisted the night before, where you just know that they're on, they're communicating, they feel really good. Um, ben, what were your thoughts about this 46 days? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it felt a lot longer than 12 or 13 minutes or whatever it ended up being. I think because like like so many of the jams on this run, it's just like immediately like the bottom drops out and they're just in jam mode. Um, and it was great. Like, I loved what Trey was doing. I loved what Paige was doing. Um, also Fishman and Mike doing great stuff too. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's like, I, this is everything that I want out of a first set from fish. I yeah. agree. When I saw that when I 
went to go back to listen to it this morning and live fish had said it was only like 12 minutes and change. I said, what? That didn't run 20 minutes. Well, okay. But yeah. To me next to uh, the melt, which I'm sure we'll get to talk quite a bit about. This is easy to highlight the set. You get some luscious, really excellent bliss jamming. And then there's a series of hard chords and heaviness before getting back to the end of the song proper. But yeah, this was a, a highlighter version plus 46 days has just become such a fish and showcase. He's all over the place. Like he does whatever he wants. He's adding accents on the woodblock. He's throwing in fills. And you're just thinking, I think I compared him on Twitter to like Troy Palomalu, just running wherever the hell he wants, coming over the middle. It's just he does <laughs> does everything and he somehow always finds a way to get back home. It's it's awesome. The man was clean shaven and looked like he got a bit of a haircut and yet he still is raging across the field anywhere he goes. Um, Yeah. I think 46 days is it's also interesting because like played by a different band with a different drummer, it's just like a straight ahead rock song, but with Fishman, there's so much to listen to that's going on behind the surface. Like he's still holding down that power. Um, He's still holding down so much power, but like there's so much, you know, candy and so many ideas being thrown around uh, behind this behind the scenes uh memo what were your thoughts on this 46 days i'm guessing you you dug this based on your uh approval of and and fascination with their their current jamming style yeah um definitely first time we're totally in agreement that i also thought it was way over 12 minutes that was a, a shocking thing for me excellent i mean and you hit on a two 46 days has just become this versatile thing that they can just put anywhere and it goes so many different directions that's never the same thing twice um that santa barbara take um last fall was incredible and in, in in such a short time i mean this song is it's impressive and it, it i think dave nails it it's because of fishman and he can really take it so many directions i think that's a great point dave um it's great and it's such a good spot right in the middle of the first set out of like a cool uh, Mike's groove that's laid back. This kind of threw it, you know, a little bit harder in the jam, you know, space and totally dug it. It's definitely a highlight of the run um, among, you know, it's not on the upper tier, but it's, it's the next level. It's really good stuff. So we move into a segment of the show that um, I really enjoyed, but kind of felt like what you have come to expect from set one fish. And it's something that like the band in a lot of cases has really moved away from. I was, I was going back through set lists during this first set last, last night. And like, you you really kind of have to go back to parts of the Phoenix first set or parts of um, the first night of Eugene to find a first set that has like a string of songs that are just kind of like straight songs delivered to us for so much of the latter half of fall tour. And for so much of this Mexico run thus far, a first set has felt in a lot of cases, like a second set where you don't really know what's coming. There's no real structure imposed. Um, You get rift. If I could, my friend, my friend. And then the second version of clear your mind, um, Kind of taking this as a whole, you know, to me, it fit the vibe really well of what we're talking about. It felt like a barbecue set. It felt like we're hanging out next to the beach, listening to fish, listening to them play some, you know, some great songs of theirs. Um, it didn't do too much from an improvisational standpoint, but I'm curious, uh, Dave, what were your thoughts kind of on this segment of the show going Rift through Clear Your Mind? I thought it was well done. Rift was, Trey hit all the stuff in Rift that he's supposed to hit. Um 
never going to be sad about hearing if I could. That's a beautiful song. It's still somewhat rare. I think it's less rare than it once was. My friend, my friend played very well. And then I uh, would clear your mind. I mean, I'm still not at the point with the sci-fi soldier songs. I can pick them up without hearing the lyrics. So when they started playing this cool funk groove, I'm like, is this a new song? Is this a cover? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Sci-fi soldier. But yeah, I thought this segment was perfectly fine and well played. Like you said, just like a barbecue set, just fish being good songwriters, good songs played well. I find clear your mind has a bit of a, um, uh, the final hurrah vibe to it. And yeah. it seems totally like agree. there's not as much structure in there as they have with, with even a song like the final hurrah. And it just sounds like a song. I need to go back and, and listen to it a couple more times, but I feel like it's a song that's going to very easily just break out of its structure. It feels like it's, it's, it's primed for jamming memo. What were your thoughts on this segment of the show? I was probably my least favorite segment of the run, to be honest. Um, and I totally agree this very in an era that we're in, which has to be the greatest development of fish of the way the first sets have been going is just, I'm flabbergasted. I remember 2012, 2013, just being like, all right, just get to the second set for these 15 songs. Like now it's like, I mean, I feel like songs I'm, in antelope. Yeah, it's just now it's feel like I get double the show. Like I'm paying my $150 or whatever the credit. And before it was just for one set. Now it's like, hey, I get two sets out of this. This is pretty awesome. And I totally agree with your point. And this was kind of like you said, a throwback. I mean, it's great. I mean, I love all those songs. I find I mean, if if I could is amazing. Obviously, it's such a great song. But I love it when they've done if I could out of monster jams. Like, I think, was it at Vegas? They did it out of that. Um, what was that big jam there? Mercury, right? Didn't it come out of Mercury? Oh, back in 2018. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, that monster Mercury. Right around when they the, that, yeah. And yeah. And like that, I like that out of like Rift. And then my friend, my friend after that, it, it loses a little bit of its luster. Um, and then I'll, I'll bring that point back a little bit later. And then Clear Your Mind was cool. Um, it's kind of one of my least favorite of the sci fi songs. But between how they played that, has some exciting parts and what they did with the howling. I'm super excited about where these songs are going to go. Finally, I think we have a little bit of, Hey, we might jam some Halloween songs, which I'm super excited. We've all been wanting for a long time with all these new songs, never jammed. They're super cool, but they're pretty much stay in the box and the howling, especially mm -hmm. I, I'm super excited for it. So, you know, I think you get a little glimpse of that and clear your mind. So I think that, you know, that has me super excited, but you know, Overall, kind of my weak point of the set for sure. You don't like when Paige screams, "Who wants to scratch my head?" <laughs> I like when it's Paige like screams. One of my anything, favorite but... lines. <laughs> ben, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, I'm, gu I'm guessing we're all kind of in agreement with this. You 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 described it really well. Their memo of like, you know, it felt standard, and and in some cases it was kind of like, okay, it's Sunday night during the daytime. I'm I'm willing to excuse that. But Ben, what were your thoughts on that? Um. Yeah, kind of the same. I mean, like these are these are all good songs. Like they're all songs individually that I'm happy to hear when I'm at a at a fish show. Um, so it could be worse. You know, they could have chosen four worse songs to string together. Um, clear your mind. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. I like I wasn't sure when Sci-Fi Soldier was played, like how those songs were going to come into the rotation because they're they're all such weird songs, you know, lyrically and uh, and in some cases musically. 
And um, I kind of imagine them like just coming up in like really weird second set, like segue fests um, where there was just a kind of a quirky vibe uh, in the room. And it's, it's funny to hear them just like sort of freestanding in a first set like this, but, um, right. but I thought it, it kind of worked. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to see them like try some, some different placements if they're going to keep playing these songs and, you know, and hopefully jam them out. I mean, that was my, one hope which has been like a disappointment about the Kazvat vaxxed songs is that none of them have really have become jam vehicles um and i'd I'd love to see that still happen but would also love to see some of these appear in a second set and just see what happens you know if if some uh just some weird improvisatory sci-fi shit goes down i had hoped for the longest time that santos would just become this huge 25 minutes set to classic rock opener and it hasn't happened yet and i can't quite understand why they feel so intent and in using that as like a set closer like five to six minutes yeah i agree it's it seemed chilling, to me in, in the go ahead yeah chilling thrilling as a whole same thing not mm-hmm. much yeah. jamming other than your pet cat right. a little bit i mean we all love those songs to death and but they haven't really done anything so the, i'm a little hopeful like the the two songs they played here in mexico from sci-fi soldier have potential so i'm a little excited yeah. about that well and we're even hearing like uh ben and i saw a great martian monster in phoenix it was like the second or third song of the show and it ended up it, it went to you know into a it modulated and jammed a little bit your pet cat from vegas was great the your pet cat from mexico um i agree with you guys though that's always been my one hesitation with these songs is every single one of them cause vote uh, songs, um, chilling, thrilling, and now sci-fi soldiers seemed seem primed for jamming. And who knows? It may just take time. Um, we we come to the next song here, which is split up in a melt. A song that has been a really important jam vehicle for Fish for almost thirty years at this point in time. But a song has gone through a lot of different variations in terms of how the band uses it. And I, I recall early three they would play split up in a melt a lot towards the end of the first set. And they didn't really seem to know how to jam it, but they would jam it in a very dark and aggressive way. And it was kind of your own, your only abstract jamming that you were getting from Fish that evening. Now something clicked around 2017, 2018 with Paige's keyboard rigged. Um, and it's only intensified with Trey's um, synthesizer pedal. This is just like a guaranteed highlight. The second that Fishman starts that drum riff, you know that you're going off on some journey um, I started writing in my notes before it even happened that I'm predicting the bottom's going to fall out the second that they leave the, the 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 words. And lo and behold, bottom falls out. They're in this like atmospheric weightless zone, just kind of floating in space. We get this deep, dark, prodding noise. It felt to me like a 2018 version. Like there was a great one from Camden 2018. There was a great one from Vegas 2018. Uh, weird disjointed on Broadway teases that just felt like you were walking down Broadway, you know, after the apocalypse had hit, it was just, it was menacing. It was demonic. It was everything I wanted. The lighting at the time, you know, you could, you could see darkness over the ocean and just like a little bit of sunlight still on the beach. I loved everything about this. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on the split open and melt and, and, in any way if it altered the set at this point well i certainly i've listened to it twice in addition to having watched it on the webcast last night and 
Knowledge has become a huge, especially in these latter half of 3.0, I guess you could call this 4.0. It's just become a huge canvas when they get as weird as they want. And this one, once they got away from the song itself, a bit of weightless jamming, and they start doing this evil death march that kind of reminded me a lot of the version of Carini from uh, December 30th, 2012 at the Garden, the Death March Carini, as it's called, it's insisted. And if I recall that, eventually gives way to some intense Trey rage and soloing. I mean, it's, uh, I feel like it's as such, I think it's about 19 minutes before I can really speak to it. I have to listen to it again. But in terms of just um, being the palette for instant and awesome weirdness that it has been, it did not disappoint in that regard. Memo, what were your thoughts? I fucking love Melt. Um, and I've loved it from the very start the fish played it. It's And I love all the early versions where it's just punch you in the face, show off how fast the band can play to where it is now. This complete, just insane song that it's become. And what I kind of like about this is we've talked about the open airy vibe that a lot of these jams have. Well, this feels like it was in an arena in the fall and it's dark and like a spaceship taking off, not this beautiful, Hey, we're in Mexico. Everybody's in bikinis and having a good time with a cocktail and a margarita. This is not that at all. This is some scary, dark stuff. And I kind of dig that. And what I really like about this version is the cocktails been... are turning on us. Yeah, I, I think like <laughs> what I like about this is all the versions lately, all the great versions get weird and stringy and they build this tension and sometimes it's just weird noises. But I thought I thought this one has all that and a little bit more flow than some of the other ones recently. And you talked about the on Broadway. I thought going into that was super cool. That was like a cool like, hey, OK, everybody's still with us. And then they went back out to the to the ocean. It was really, really great. Fishman is just incredible in this jam. And I absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the standout versions of this era, to be honest. It was really, really good. Then what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's it's weird. I feel like I'm still yeah. a little bit um, traumatized from some of the early 3.0 split open and melts that I saw. Um, not necessarily in a good way. There were definitely somewhere I was like the band, like they're just making noise. They have no idea what they're doing. Um, right. and, uh, and, and so like, there's still a part of me when every split open and melt starts that I'm like, are, are they going to get through this? Is it, is this going to be, just be a total mess? And I tweeted this last night. I was like, what ends up happening is like for the last like four or five years, every single version, I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, yeah. And uh, and Solid. last night. Yeah, it was it was like it, I, I think Fishman was the key. It was like it was like the the jam was was just so far out there. And yet, like they they still felt totally in control. And I think that that's because of John Fishman. Like he's he's just like got got a hold on like what's going on, even as it's completely, completely crazy. Um, and, you know, I don't know. My only complaint, I, I feel like that would have been like the time for the band to, to put some of the, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that they, that they made 
from these shows into like making a, like a, a giant sea monster come up from the ocean <laughs> and just like scare the shit out of everybody on the beach. And I, I kind of wish that they had done that. Real missed opportunity. They need more I've, props. It could use like a Pink Floyd the Wall type. Some of that Roger Waters ingenuity coming up. I've I've been lucky enough to see that sea monster at shows before. Wow. Yeah, cool. <laughs> those are good nights. <laughs> those are those are the best nights. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I kind of want to go back me. now that we're talking about it and and listen through every 3.0 split up in a melt because uh, off the top of my head, the version that I remember things changed was 1229.17, where Pages synthesizers had really impacted the Baker's dozen. I think that they played split. Uh, on strawberry night so very early in the baker's dozen and at this point they've made so many musical advances over the you know resulting 15 16 nights of you know the baker's dozen dicks and now they're deep in this excellent msg run and they play split open and melt i just remember it was the first time i heard it fully connected but i totally know what you mean early early versions just seemed like an excuse for them to see like let's get it as abstract as possible and not find home and just see what happens. And now they have the tools and they're better listeners than they were in 2010, 2011. And they're able to play in a manner that like really makes these to your point, every version feels like the best version you've ever heard. Um, There's two versions. I remember kind of changing the game to go there and they were in 2013 in the fall. And I happened to be at both of those shows. So I remember those distinctly. And one was uh, at Glens Falls. And one was at Reading, and um, both of those were started to get. I'm like, whoa, this song's going different than I remember it. And it took yeah. a little while to fully evolve into what we have now. But I think those were versions I remember thinking, okay, this is a new direction for the song, and and the lights are just especially indoors for split open Meller, awesome. I would Feel add like to that, that list SPAC 2013. July. Very good version. Yep. Very good version. Great call. Like the most abstract, weird, but just like somehow yeah. locked in version they played. One of my worst calls, I had to pee very badly. So I heard most of that for the inside of a porta potty and I kicked myself saying, This sounds fucking great. And my bladder just I couldn't couldn't deal with it. I thought they were gonna cut it off at like 12, 13 minutes. They didn't. So. We will we will do we will do bladder training towards the end of this podcast for summer right. tour. Um, I want to connect. So Susie and set one, no man in no man's land uh, starts off set two. To me, these songs were kind of we come out of the crazy space. You know, Godzilla should be coming up from the sea type of moment of split up in the melt. And fish reminds us, hey. We're still on a beach in Mexico. You're all still on vacation. Let's have some fun. So neither one of these songs really go off in any crazy direction, but they're kind of there to cap off the set in a really positive way and intro us to set two in a really happy, positive way. Um, To me, the first real highlight of set two and the start of a segment that I thought was one of the strongest segments of the overall run was um, Everything's Right, a song that again drops us into weightlessness since emerge. And we're just like, we're there. Whatever's going to happen is going to be excellent. We get percussive jamming. It's kind of mid tempo bliss. It, it was in line with everything that we've been hearing from the band throughout the previous three or four shows. Uh, Ben, starting with you, what were your thoughts on the uh, everything's right 
Um, it was amazing. It's um, like it's it's one of those jams that doesn't go any place totally crazy. It's not off the rails. It's just like pure vibes. Um, I thought Fishman was at his best during this jam. Um, it's just there's there's something that he does where he's like he's both groove and color at the same time. And uh, I, I don't know how many other drummers there are that can do that, that can do both so well, where like you're you're totally in, in, in line with the beat that he's playing. But he's also just he's got so much other stuff going on on top of it. Um, it's incredible. And, and Trey was uh, was just just pouring out vibes during this jam. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. And, and the Fishman point is so many jams throughout this weekend. He He's holding down the beat so the band can jam. And yet he's just adding color on top of it. It was incredible. Memo, what were your thoughts on this? Everything's right. And where does it stack up in your rankings against the Dick's 2021 version? Well, it doesn't. That's like my jam jam. I I love the Dick's Everything's Right. And I could talk a whole podcast about the merits of that and how it's just incredible because it grooves the whole way and it's just one long arcing jam. Um, this everything's right. I think we're getting to a point, at least for me, I think everything's right. Might be the best representation of the current fish sound as far mm. as jamming. I think mm. light was that from, for a long period of time, whenever it would start, I would be most excited about light because I thought that's what this band sounded like the best. And I think everything's right is what, fish does well and we were talking about this earlier and when they go into it it's so fast how they just groove into this song it sounds just like what i think fish sounds like right now and this version takes zero time to get there but there's a transition i think with like four or five minutes left where fishman you know to go with ben's point he starts playing this beat and it's like my favorite thing the fish does he starts playing ahead of the game a little bit and then slowly the band kind of sweeps into that groove and it's like my favorite thing that fish does. And it's so good for like four or five minutes. And it was probably my favorite groove of the entire run, to be honest. It doesn't end up being my favorite jam because the ripcord to Caspian, I think, is absolutely brutal. And I hated it. Um, but that groove, I could have sat there for like 20 minutes. I was just loving it. And it's the brilliance of Fishman, as Ben said. It's what the band does well, just chilling, grooving synthesizers and not too much i absolutely love this i listened to this three times before just that little four or five minute section is phenomenal for me dave what are your thoughts standard excellent everything's right it's really become a sure shot at this point you're going to get something that you love you're going to get some kind of groove that you want i mean i think for me off the top of my head my favorite versions are Dick's 2021, Phoenix 2021, and then the uh, super underwatery one from uh, December 30th, 2018 that I know, Brian, you love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this one, it swung well. Uh, unfortunately, like Memo said, by the groove was interrupted by the ripcord into Prince Caspian. So I kind of have to judge it a little harshly because that occurred. But prior to that, it was great. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting point you're making, Memo, and I was thinking about it at one point. I think on Saturday, I was like, I wonder when light is going to come. And light just feels slightly inconsequential at this point in Fish's history. And it happens with a lot of these songs where, like, it's that is that was the focus of Fish jamming from 2009. In the fall? They played it, like, twice last year. 
Yeah, I feel yeah, like they only played it like two, maybe three times. Um, crazy. They that was the focus of fish jamming from 2009 to about 2015, 16. And then there was this, who knows what, what is going to be the song coming next. You didn't really have a great light in 2017. And around then is when everything's right emerges in 2018, 2019, 2021. Uh, and now obviously the Mexico 2020 version, but now here going into 2022, I think everything's right really has established itself that when they start playing that, you know, no matter what, is it going to be that first set kind of bliss peak, or is it going to be the second set kind of deep seated groove? And we got that version. Um, so I want to say something, cause I'm, I'm in agreement with both of you or all three of you. Uh, the ripcord into Prince Caspian was, um, was very rough. It was not needed. That's a jam that could have kept going. I don't know why 30 years in to its career, we still need to force Prince Caspian into a second set, but the counter to it is number one, Prince Caspian has had some really great versions in recent years. And I thought last night's was awesome. Um, I, I texted Dave at some point, Kevin Shields, Anastasio floating on the waters. I mean, it was, he was just, all effects were going and he was just like, had the head bob and he was feeling it completely. And I thought that Caspian beneath the sea of stars as like one piece, um, I felt like in past years, had they made a ripcord the way that they did during everything's right, the whole set's kind of off and you're about to get, you know, Wilson, Possum, Golgi, you know, David Bo. Like, it's just going to be like song, song, song. And here we get really thoughtful jamming. So with these two songs, I thought that the band recovered from the ripcord and actually presented some fantastic music uh, to us at this point. Um, Dave, kind of taking Caspian, Sea of Stars combined, what were your thoughts on this segment? Uh, I agree that the Caspian towards the end was pretty cool. You're seeing Kevin Shields, of course, uh, the mastermind behind classic shoegaze band, My Bloody Valentine. There were peals of noise, peals of effects, and Trey was really trying to trying to make the most of it. Um, as regards Sea of Stars, sometimes the obvious choice is the best choice. Of course, it's a song you want to hear in Mexico as much for the lyrics, as much for the awesome carefree night four vibe and it was a very good version of the song i'm still i'm still waiting for a sea of stars that compares to the one from um mohegan sun 2019 mm-hmm. where they just kind of turn the whole thing inside out and rub your face through a blender but uh the mexico 2021 i recall is pretty cool as well but yeah for a very very pleasant 10 minutes out of Caspian. I thought it was great. It was well-placed and it was the correct vibe. My wife said at one point during Sea of Stars that you can see how giddy Trey is to be able to sing these lyrics on a beach in Mexico. And like the thought going through his head must've been like, I wrote these words for this, for this setting. And uh, he was, he was loving it. Memo, what were your thoughts on Caspian Sea of Stars? Uh, You know, it's pretty hard for me to, forgive caspian for ripping my favorite jam <laughs> the entire run i mean that's pretty hard for me to do um but it does get cool it doesn't get as cool as some of the other versions that you mentioned and i'm with dave 100 on sea of stars like and i know you I've, i remember listening to you talk about this is the mohican sun version to come out like it did was 
breathtaking. We were blown away. I remember hearing you guys think that. I thought the same thing. I'm like, this song is going to be the coolest song ever. It's going to be Fish's Dark Star. Mm-hmm. And I like it every time. And I've seen it. And when I'm there, I love it. And I like it there. But I'm just waiting, just like Dave. It has more potential. And every time I think it's going to go yeah. there, he just stops it. And this could have been the perfect time for it. You know, on the beach, in the middle of the set, it could have went deep. So awesome jam out of everything's right here. Quick question. This is a favorite question. I love to ask people to go back. What I was saying, I like to ask people this, this, this question, if the world was ending tomorrow, which it could obviously, and you had 30 minutes left and fish was going to play one song before the end of the world right now, what would it be? And I think everything's right. Might be one of the choices right now where they are. It's one of my fair questions. Is this? It could still be Tweezer. It's how they're playing. Like you know, Fish is going to play their sound right now. Thirty minutes to the end of the world. What song is would it, you want Fish to play? So is this them playing a song in the current style, or is this yes. any? Yes, any right now, tomorrow. Jam in their history. Tomorrow. So you could think about that, but that's a question I like to ask. I think it's fun. I ask weird questions. Anybody like have that. an answer, Dave? Do you have an answer? I'm, I'm still going Tweezer. Still going Tweezer, Ben. How about yeah. you? I mean, I, I wouldn't mind a 30 minute Jennifer dances, but um ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I, I think it's a fun question to think about stylistically where fish is. I've asked a lot of people that before. I think everything right is slowly creeping into that conversation. I think based on where they are stylistically, I'm gonna go with split open and melt because of where that Ooh. jam can take them. And that is like that is my zone of what I want to hear from fish. But if we're guaranteed 30 minute jamming, like I would love to hear what a, a 30 minute split open and melt could sound like. Ben, uh, yeah. what were your thoughts on this on this segment? Did you think that they like do you, are, are you liking the evolution of CSRs? Do you do you see it having more opportunity going forward? I mean, I can hear that. I, I, I think I was just, um, I was kind of vibing at this point in the set, you know, like the, the everything's right. Caspian sea of stars, like was just all like just one, whatever it was, 35 minute, uh, string of chill that, um, that it was, it was hard for me to, to, um, to wish that it was something else because it was all just so enjoyable. Um, I, like I loved pages since uh, at the end of sea of stars i thought it was it was really phenomenal um and uh caspian is like you know it's it's like caspian always cuts off something better but then is always has recently been um better than i expect it to be like starting with the magna ball version where where like yeah. i think i like definitely cursed at least 25 times when they started playing P- prince caspian at magna ball out of that great tweezer and then uh and then you know, they ended up making me pay for my curses, put some uh, some coins into the jar in the form of a great jam. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I just really enjoyed the the whole segment of the set. That Magnaball Caspian is there for me with the Dick's Light as times I've been at a fish show where it felt like we just won the World Series. Um, everybody around me, and I think part of it was like we thought Caspian ripcord into this incredible tweezer and then look what Caspian did. And every single person around me was high-fiving and hugging each other in celebration. It was, it was pretty awesome. Um, 
you know, I think I agree with you guys. I think the one version that we're we're forgetting from Sea of Stars is the Santa Barbara version. I thought I don't know if it was com- I don't know if it was better than the Mohican song, but I think it was at least comparable. I think the challenge with this song is it tends to be placed in the middle of a second set rather than like I would love to hear the band come out and just try to open a second set with Sea of Stars and just see what happens at that point because it feels in the same way that Caspian did for so long or like swept away and steeped it for so long. Like it's, it's, it's intended to be a transitional piece that we're playing something. We've kind of lost ideas. Okay. We'll play Caspian now, and then we'll figure out what we're going to play next. And that'll be the next segment of the show. I would love to hear them approach sea of stars in a way that like, that is the total focus point, because I, I agree with you guys, the, the potential of this song, honestly, like, I'm going to be kind of blasphemous here, but like, I don't think any song has the open-ended potential aside from tweezer as sea of stars does. Like there is, there are no rules. There is no reason that song needs to come back home. It could just go out and it could jam. And I think memo, your uh, dark star comparison is very apt because that was, that was the initial vibe that I felt like it's just them floating in space playing this music. Um, we moved then into golden age um at this point i kind of figured and i know dave we were texting like at this point it kind of felt like we're starting to wind down and i felt like golden age was a pretty big pick here because either it's going to be eight to eleven minutes it's going to kind of bob along and then we're going to go into these final three or four songs to close out the set or it's going to do what it did last night um it's a real bubbly jam you get that dropout into weightlessness, but all four members are just kind of letting the jam guide them wherever it takes them. Uh, you get some darkness and you kind of move into that Dick's catapult machine vibe that we got back on September 5th, 2021, as the jam moves into Lonely Trip. I thought this was a very diverse jam. I thought it was very methodical. I thought it was a great combination of this new style that we've been hearing from fish while also offering, I don't want to say Plinko type jamming because that felt so confined to a specific era, but this kind of rhythmic bubbly type jamming that um, I, I, I greatly enjoy. Ben, what were your thoughts on this golden age? Well, um, I feel like a broken record. I loved it. Um, it yes. <laughs> so like set the problem wise. when fish is playing well. I know, I know. It's it's uh, we all get boring, um, but uh, but it's still fun to talk about. But it it, it felt setlist wise uh, very similar to the cross eyed from the night before, um, where you know you're you're like very deep into a very jammy second set, um, and then they they bust out like a high energy cover that usually goes into a big jam late in the second set, um, and for the first like ten minutes of this golden age, I was like, this is great, you know, like Paige is leading the jam tray is just like doing this ferocious uh rhythm guitar and i was loving it and then uh and then they took this crazy left turn into into like sea monster reprise and uh and man it was like this was like it it felt like the world maybe was going to end um and i was totally on board for it we were we were texting and uh and doing some like kind of SMS high fives about how, just how evil and crazy this jam was and how much it broke with um, like the chill vibes that they had established throughout the set. And, and it was, it was just really cool to hear. Memo, what did you think about this golden age? I know that yeah. you are, you, nobody has convinced me of a jam 
more than you convinced me of the maple golden age. So um, I'm forever grateful mm. for you for that. But what were your thoughts on this version of golden age? Uh, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I think that, you know, as kind of going with some of the themes that we've been talking about, I think golden age is such a instrumental part of the new fish sound and this polyrhythmic and weird tempos and golden age jams have really ushered in and helped with that sound. And I think it's totally prevalent in this jam. Um, it starts out rough again. I mean, there's a lot of golden ages that the composed section is an absolute mess. And this is one of them has its struggles, but man, the jams, when they really go into golden age are some of the most interesting things that fish plays. And this, this version is phenomenal and really cool. Again, I also love that this is kind of in the fourth quarter where there has been complete train wrecks before and some of the worst song selection. This is awesome jamming really late, probably the best jam of the, of the second set by far, in my opinion, and one of the best of the run. And to have it really late, like it's almost like a celebratory lap with all your friends on the beach and one big last jam. Absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the standouts of the run for sure. Dave, where do you have this in the overall kind of the ranking in your head of, of, of like where this jam fits in the overall run? Um, top seven, perhaps. I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I think once they kind of start up Golden Age somewhat roughly, what could be considered the fourth quarter part of the show, I felt like it was probably going to be like eight to nine minutes followed by, you know, Possum, Golgi, Zero, Trey, Run Up, bunch of four-minute songs, Leave. But I was, when it got going, I was very pleasantly surprised. And I, Bubbly Funk is a great way to put it. And then at the end, when, of course, Trey goes Death From Above, I think I texted you, I said, like, I'm almost a little concerned he might be going to the Death From Above well one too many times at this point, because you can just do that effect in his guitar and then it becomes like air raid sirens and it's cool. We don't want to overdo it. And this was maybe if he did it one more time after this, I would have said, okay, we get it. But <laughs> it was, no, it was, uh, it was great. I think this was the longest jam of the night. This is like 19 minutes and change. Yeah. It was either this right. or the, the split up and the melt where we're right in the running for it. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting. You point out like the, the stylistic move, the death from above, like effect, um, I think one of the interesting things as we look back on this run, Memo said this really well early on, like usually it takes them some time to get into a real groove as they're, as they're moving through a tour. And usually we don't see four isolated shows with this many highlights in the way that we did here. The, the idea of them taking a couple months off and then coming back in Madison Square Garden at the end of April with some of the ideas that have been implanted here on this run, but with whatever evolution, whatever new ideas they're going to have in place, then I think we're in a really good place. Um, transitioning to the end of the second set here, Ben texted me at some point last night, and I, I, I would like to pose a question to the three of you, as well as to the audience out there. Um, ben said that no ballad has ever been more consistently well-placed in fish history than Lonely Trip. It seems like every time Lonely Trip is played, it is the right time. 
it is the right vibe for it, which we were talking about with, if I could earlier, we were talking about with Caspian, a lot of the time fish has struggled to place a ballad in the exact right spot. And I'd be curious, is, is, is there a competition for this? Is there another song? I have one candidate, but it's no longer played. Um, anybody else have, uh, have, have, have a ballad that they think is consistently well played like uh, lonely trip is. Um, when the circus comes in the late nineties, I thought it was well played, well played, well placed, well done. They don't really play that anymore. Certainly, I agree with Ben that "Lonely Trip," in addition to being a fantastic song, is really well placed. Circus is a good call. Memo, you got any thoughts? <sighs> Maybe. Mountains in the Mist, they don't play it as much. Billy Breeze also seems to always be in good spots for me. Um, but, you know, the one thing I'll say about Lonely Trip, so I was at the Hershey show where they debut yeah. this, and it was maybe one of the best debuts and spots for a debut ever. I mean, everybody still raves about that. We are blown away. Such a great spot for it. I'm just a little worried as much as I absolutely love this song. It is getting played every single run now. So as much mm. as I love it and I love it in the spot, your gaps for this song are five, four, 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 one. It's every run now. So I just, the thing about ballads, they really sing the less they get played. So if you start to jam it down our throats, it's going to live, lose a little bit of its luster. I still love it. I loved it here. But I'm seeing a trend where, hey, everybody loves this song, so we're going to play it at every single run. It just gets me a little worried because I don't want to lose any love that I have for it. And I've seen Fish do this with other songs before. Um, but it's great, and it's awesome, and it's cool here, but I'm just a little scared going forward that's going to be every single run. Just going to say that. It's an interesting point because, like, lyrically, that song speaks to the vibe of the last two years better than almost any fish song. And I almost think of it in the sense of when they came back and they played joy, like no song spoke to the way that Trey felt about being back with fish the way that joy did. And he, they played that at every single run in the same sort of manner. And for a while in early 3.0, that was the only ballad you were going to get. Like if you got a mountains in the mist, if you got a life boy, you were like, Holy shit, they played that because every time in the ballad spot was, was joy. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. I hadn't thought about it that way. The, the option I was going to throw out is uh, just a shameless uh, beg for the return of Thunderhead um, only based mm -hmm. on one performance being the uh, 729 2003 performance out of what I consider the greatest jam of 2.0, which is that cross side and painless other great Thunderheads. But um, that placement is just absolutely perfect for me. Um, Lonely trip. I thought was great here. Um, Harry hood though. I thought it was a really fascinating jam. It does what every jam of the weekend did. It, call, it kind of fades away. It builds up structurally. It's already built that way. I found it interesting in the same manner that slave to the traffic light was played the night before. These are songs that like the built-in structure is we give you an intro. We let it all bleed out into essentially nothing. And then we build it up to this peak, which is a huge technique they've been using this run. I thought this was like, a type one 1.5 jamming where it sounded like it moved away from Harry hood and came back with essentially seamlessness. And to me, a song like Harry hood to be continuously played with this, this many new ideas 
this much adventurism while still retaining the magical parts that make the song so special 40 years into their career is just such a telling moment. And what a great way to cap off this run. Ben, what were your thoughts as, as they closed out this set? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hood has had such an incredible run, um, especially for the fact that it's been around for so long. Like at this point, they almost every single version of it is really interesting and really new. Um, and you know, yeah, we have had some recent versions that have gone a little bit farther out, but the fact that this one went as far out as it did, and it was, you know, it was shifting between minor and major Trey was doing some stuff that he doesn't usually do in Harry hood. And yet like they, they totally, uh, retained control over it. They brought it to a really good peak. Um, and, uh, and everything about it was like, was compelling and really just really good. Um, it's, it's cool that. The, that they're doing this i mean even in the, like the late 90s i remember like harry hood was not was was always a great song to see live but it wasn't um as exciting you know you you didn't there wasn't as much uncertainty about where it was going to go as it is now like 25 years later it's crazy yeah i agree with that there's there's a newfound creativity and and just appreciation from the band it seems like for the song that they dedicate as much time and space and creativity to it memo what were your thoughts on the hood i really enjoyed this hood as well um i think ben makes a really interesting point um you know the 90s hoods are certainly you know another another thing another great you know really rocking you knew hood was going to blow your mind and have this but we're in different, you know, they've transitioned a lot of these songs and hood is a great example into different types of places to jam. And as much as I love nineties, hoods, probably most of the time, if I want to hear Harry hood, I'm actually going to go listen to those. But when they play Harry hood now, anything could happen. And that's a really cool feeling and something that I certainly enjoy seeing at a concert. I really thought this Harry hood was excellent and was like a great recap of the way the band sounded the entire weekend. Like it was just yeah. kind of like like a like the last page of the the book, and we're like, okay, let's revisit all the characters in this play and and finish it off. And I I like when Fish does that. It's just kind of one last, hey, this is how we sounded all weekend. We're gonna finish it off with one of the classics. And I really thought it it flowed just incredibly well and totally my type of jamming. It was it was an excellent version. Completely agree. I love the. Uh what would be the the bibliography of the of the run was the Harry Hood in a lot of cases while still having the emotional power of the climax of the story. Dave, what about you? Um if you're gonna have any problem with a set two Harry Hood closer on night four of Mexico, then this probably just isn't your band. So <laughs> that's it. That was yeah, great. Why weren't we in Mexico? This is our band. We should have went. This is our band. This yeah. Is our band. Um, so the encore. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> so the encore was Life Beyond the Dream and First Tube. Um, honestly, I felt like they could have encore with anything at this point in time. I think a Life Beyond the Dream is it's another ballad that Trey is really feeling right now. It kind of speaks to the moment. And First Tube, aside from uh, kind of the riffing flub uh, right at the start, is just one of those songs that gives you a great send off i know ben and i saw we saw a lonely trip first tube encore at chula vista and it just felt like you're being sent off into the night you feel victorious your guitar player is a rock god after you know just 
the well of noise before his guitar goes over his head. It's just a great way to end it. I don't know if you guys have any specific thoughts about the the encore here. I just, I just thought it was, it was, it was a solid way to set, to send us all off. Light Beyond a Dream is really one of Trey's best recent attempts at like a Broadway showstopper ballad. I mean, especially the version, the studio version on a, on Sigma Oasis with the like string charts, the Donna Hart strings is awesome. But with Life Beyond the Dream, um, the only problem with it is much like the Bob Weir version of Miss You, is that once you've heard the James Casey tab version of Life Beyond the Dream, no other versions compare. But Man, other than that. That's you know? such a good call. I, I, I thought I was the only cheerleader for that Bob Weir Miss You. It's it's so good. And oh, it does so kind of ruin every other version right. of it. I, I want to hear Weir sing all of the Trey ballads now. And I want to hear James Casey sing a duet of Life Beyond a Dream every time. But seriously, no, that was uh, that was great. I mean, no one is ever going to be sad here in first tube. That's a good way to rage off into the night. And with that, we close out Mexico 2022, a very successful four-night run. Um, I loved this run of music. I think if I were to just go off the top of my head, I would rank it as night two, night three, night four, night one. But none of that is to say, I, I think there's a ton to go back to and listen back to. I have my playlist already set up of my favorite jams of 2022 and just for reference, all I have is Mexico, and I have 29 songs on there already. I think there were a ton of huge highlights, ton to go back and sink our teeth into. The tweezer from night one was fascinating. Uh, four songs, second set on night two. Uh, a really excellent Wolfman's Brother that I stated yesterday on the pod. I think it was the best Wolfman since 1229.98. And a diverse, laid-back send-off show on Sunday night that featured some um, uh, some great eye candy from the band, uh, some great, you know, just looking at people hanging out on the, on the uh, beach side, listening to fish, plus a pretty fluid second set. I thought this was great overall. Ben, any final thoughts about the run? Um, yeah, no, a lot of highlights. Uh, and my, my main highlight was, probably the mull from saturday night but uh but you know uh i assume that was number one on your 29 song list um i'm i I just i'm so happy that the that the band is gonna be back in less than two months because they got as they have for like the last seven eight months they have so much momentum yeah memo any final thoughts on your end very impressed uh overall i think I'm mixed. Like I said, I think the band's really embracing what they're good at and what they're good at is, is jamming right now. And I'm all about that. My license plate is 20 minute jam and I'm ready to roll on all fronts with that. I'm could not be more excited about MSG. Um, you know, playing a four night run just after six months of not playing is pretty incredible to have. I mean, there's seven or eight jams that are just monsters in these four nights. There's another six or seven that I think are really cool. That's a lot. I mean, we're this is really impressive stuff. And I, I'm going to be listening to a lot of these jams going forward. I mean, the disease, the Carini, the set your soul free, the twist, your pet cat, this golden age. I mean, these are monster jams. 
where there was an era of fish. If you got three of those in a three night run, you'd be like, man, that was the best run of this era. And now it's getting to the point where we're almost expecting that. And yeah. it's, a, it's a really good time to be a fish fan, especially because the rest oh, yeah. of the world sucks and you can go see fish and rock out. That's it right there. Dave, final thoughts on Mexico. Very good. Uh, excellent top to bottom, considering that they had had the time off, considering the disappointment of not getting to do a real MSG run, although I certainly enjoyed the, the ninth cube show for what it was. I mean, they're basically picking up where they left off in 2021. And I think that given um, physical limitations and whatnot for a band to be 39 years into their career and still finding new things, what they do, new things, what they do well. It's uh, a very exciting time to be a fish fan. And it's just a reminder of why I've dedicated such a portion of my life to following these guys. So very good. Right there with you all. Um, I'm going to give you all one, uh, one final pedestal to give me a prediction towards MSG. Dave, Give me a quick prediction for MSG at this point. MSG is going to be more rage rocking than Mexico because it's going to be indoors. The La Practice, it's their home turf. I think the first night of MSG is going to have tempos that likes what you haven't seen since 1999. Then they'll probably slow down a bit on nights two, three, and four. Though you're probably going to get a blaze on the first set because it's 420 and Trey's just a corny motherfucker. <laughs> um, I'm very much looking forward to it because I haven't seen fish since December of 2019. I was supposed to go to Nashville last year. I didn't. Uh, corona killed New Year's, so I'm looking forward to it greatly. And I'm also going to predict that we're going to get an Avenue Volcano with a happy Pesach bass solo because it's going to be right in the middle of Passover. So, Memo, what's your prediction? prediction? Oh, those are all good ones. Those are all good ones. Memo, what's your prediction? I think um, I think more of the same. I think you're going to get a lot like what Vegas was. I think this runs an extension of that, and it's going to be big jams. It's going to have some old favorites. They're going to try new things. I think you're going to see more of the sci-fi soldier stuff take, take hold for sure. Um, and I'm all for it. Just keep, just keep going where we're going and I will go see you around the country. I love where fish is at. Put them inside MSG with the best light show on the planet. Can't wait. I will be there and I will be in the helmet and I will get blasted. Love it. Ben <laughs> prediction for MSG. Yeah. The blaze on is a, is a good call. I was actually going to say, I think there's going to be a Maki Supa fest on 420, but it could be both. <laughs> Um, and I wouldn't put it past them. I also wouldn't pass, put it past them to just forget the 420 holiday um, and just pretend it's New Year's Eve and just like do a full New Year's Eve gag. Um, but uh, we'll find out. Speaking of holidays, happy 228, guys. It's, a, mm. it's my own personal highest of holy days. Happy 228. Everyone go back and listen to the tweezer and also the bathtub gin. Bathtub gin never gets the love that the tweezer does. That's an amazing bathtub gin. I celebrate show. Very, that's like a top 20 a whole show. It's top, top 25 yeah. show. hundred yeah. percent agree. hundred percent agree. Amazing show. Um, my prediction for MSG is we're going to get the first jam chart version of rock and roll since this is shocking. I'm reading this right now. 
August 3rd, 2013. I cannot think hmm. of a greater, of, of a really good rock and roll in the last nine years. Um, I know that there's probably one out there that I'm overlooking, but really it's a song that was, was as reliable a jam vehicle in early 3.0 as we heard. And I would love to hear their new found jamming style applied to what I personally consider to be the greatest cover that fish has Uh rock and roll just absolutely rules. Ooh. So that's my prediction. Um, I'm really excited for MSG. We will have to all talk in advance of it. I loved having the three of you on today to talk through Mexico night four. Thank you all for your thoughts here. Thank you all for your opinions and uh, thank you all for your time. And thank you everyone out there for hanging with us. This was great. Thank you, Brian. Gentlemen, this is great. I really enjoyed this. Likewise. You guys have a, have a great rest of your day. All right. We'll talk to you soon. You guys are great. Love ya. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Memo, Dave, and Ben for hanging with me here today while we walked through the final night of Fish's Mexico 2022 run. Um, I will be back uh, with my co-hosts on Wednesday at uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, as well as I think RJB will be joining us. We'll be breaking down the entire Mexico run in a whole. What were our big highlights, big thematic takeaways, uh, just our final kind of capstone on Mexico before we move back into some more historical uh, um, overviews and historical deep dives for um, uh, HF Pod Live. But the last thing I want to tell you all about one more time is uh, Sunset Lake CBD. Why spend more when you can get affordable, high-quality CBD straight from the farm? Today's show was sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD, a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers, cutting out all the costs associated with getting on the shelves at stores. They have CBD products for every occasion, offer tinctures, salves, Edibles, coffee, smoke bowls, and even pet products. Uh, I find Sunset Lake to be a really reliable and affordable product for what I love out of CBD, and I highly, highly recommend it for all of you out there. Please check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And uh, I lied. The final, final thing I will tell you all is to please once again subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. Uh, $4.99 a month gives you access to ad-free content from Osiris Media as well as a ton of bonus material that we are offering. We've really revamped that aspect of our product and we're excited to share a ton of bonus content from both HF Pod, Undermine, Past Under the Scales episodes, as well as AMAs and live events to come. So subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to support what we are doing as well as get some additional content. And with that, I will leave you all here on your Monday. I hope everyone had a great weekend, enjoyed the fish shows. I know that we did here. Um, we will be back on Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern to break down the shows in full with um, uh, some very special guests. So thank you so much. Have yourselves a great Monday.
Osiris. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.